dive down into some of the weeds. Again, from an architecture, design, configuration, variables, trade-offs of approach one versus approach two, you know, through some of these areas. Are there any special considerations we need to take for making use of the client response time or the endpoint end-user agent component? Yep. So client response time piece, um, there's two purposes. So just you know, briefly, it, it's to monitor end-user experience for a Windows desktop application. And that also includes its second purpose is in a Citrix-based environment, so when you have a hosted Windows application, it will also measure end-user experience for that hosted Citrix-based Windows application. And considerations you need there are the way that the client response time agent works is it sits on the Windows machine itself, so actually on the client desktop, and it actually intercepts messages in the Windows message queue that are sent between Windows applications. So it every application requires what's called a behavior module. So for, for example, we ship with CRT, we ship a Lotus Notes, a Microsoft Outlook, a Siebel, a 3270, an Internet Explorer behavior module. But if you had written a custom fat client Windows application that you wanted to monitor, you'd have to design your own behavior module for that application. And that's a non-trivial exercise. It, there's, a tool that, there's a tool that will help you do it, but it's generally a services-based deployment to get that, to do that. And we don't have, in my experience the last few years, we don't have a lot of customers that are doing it. They might buy that product specifically to monitor email SLAs with Outlook or Notes or 3270 response time for uh, their admins on their desktops. But we don't see a lot of customers that are buying that product to monitor that client desktop application. Just because there are no, in the enterprise, most things are on the web these days. So there are some considerations there, but I think that that's a pretty, it's a smaller bit of the overall uh, you know, puzzle in terms of what people actually buy when they buy this product. Okay. Any special considerations for the uh, web tier, the initial web tier? Uh, no, you basically, the only thing you really need to know about is what type of app, uh, web server you're running. If we support basically all of the uh, standard web servers with a Microsoft IAS, IBM HTTP server, Apache, iPlanet. And for SSL transactions, so any HTTPS transactions, there is a specific configuration step for each of, the, of those web servers. It's actually, there's a no user interaction necessary for the IBM HTTP server. Um, or for Apache, but for any of the other ones, there's actually some changes you need to make to the to the web server. And really, what it does is it just loads an additional library when the web web server loads up to allow us to decrypt and look at the headers of the HTTPS packet. So there's not much that you need to know. You need to know what version of the web servers you're running, uh, and everything is supported basically. 
Do we also need to worry about the choice of using an agent-based approach or our agentless slash appliance mode approach here? Well, at the moment, uh, appliance mode will only work for HTTP-based transactions. Uh, that that will change in the, sometime in the, sh- in the short-term future. Uh, it's on the very close-term roadmap to have an HTTPS appliance mode. So there are considerations there. Some customers don't want to put an agent in all the boxes. They just want to have one running in an appliance mode. Um, I think that what it comes down to oftentimes is a customer's preference. Um, we allow either one to work. Are there trade-offs? Are there, There's really not that much of an overhead trade-off. Um, what I find it personally, it's really, it, like I said, it comes down to what customers Customers either want to do it in an appliance mode because that's what they're used to. Some of our other competitors in the space use an appliance mode approach to this type of uh, uh, transaction monitoring. Is so, there a is there a quality of data trade off? You get better data with an agent than you do the appliance mode. Nope, not in this case. We're literally sitting there, in the, you know. In the true technical weeds, we're literally sitting there uh, turning a uh, network interface into a promiscuous mode and listening to packets as they come through. And in appliance mode, we're just listening to them on the same network segment. So that's the only restriction as well. Sorry, you have to be on the same network segment, so find the same router um, to run the appliance mode. Okay. But, so yeah, there's no in that particular case, which is different than a lot of the uh, a lot of the other agents in ITM, where there are trade-offs between agent and agentless. There's not really a difference between the two. Good. Any special considerations for the middleware tier application servers? Uh, well, just ver- just versions basically is what it uh, is what it comes down to. Uh, you have to be one of the supported versions of WebSphere, supported versions um, of NQ, and supported versions of DB2. Those are really the only things that can affect what um, that you need to be concerned concerned with. Do we need to make... what we do... I'm sorry. Go ahead. uh, Generally, what we do is we send out... uh, uh, Once we do an initial interview, we'll send out a spreadsheet that just says fill in what the versions are of these various platforms and we go off and we confirm all of the supported versions. Do we need to know at this point whether we need to architect or design or configure to make use of ARM instrumentation? Uh, that's the, that decision is this is the point where you would make that decision. Uh, and we haven't talked about it before, but really it, it's web or where this decision goes to. There are Two ways to get data from WebSphere. You can either get data from WebSphere using ARM, which basically means turn on ARM inside of the WebSphere admin console and spit it out. Um, and basically, what you do is you point when you turn on ARM, you have to point it at an ARM library. If there's an ARM library that ships with ITM for transactions, you point it at that and it starts spitting out ARM events. The other way is to use the ITM for WebSphere data collector and the ITCAM for WebSphere managing server, so you need an entire ITCAM for WebSphere environment 
to do the transaction tracking in the Western computer. There are reasons to do ITKM for WebSphere because ITKM for WebSphere at this point is the only way that you get correlation back to Kix or back to IMS or WebSphere to WebSphere. So it's something that we don't specify very well in our documentation, but actually we require for certain scenarios, depending on what your application architecture looks like that you actually bring in a product that is not a part of the ITKM for Transactions portfolio, which is ITKM for WebSphere, and install it in order to be able to use its tracking capabilities for specific components, which then gets stitched into the bigger picture of ITKM for Transactions. So you do need to make that decision. That's the long answer for yes. That's where you make the decision of whether or not you're going to use ARM and WebSphere. And that that doesn't apply, or or does the same decision apply if I'm using another Java-based application server, JBoss or WebLogic or others? Um, yes, but there is a lot less, a lot less that are supported right now in terms of by the IT IT for transactions. Uh, what the, the core of ITM for tra of transactions, the tracking piece, is what's called the TT API, which is the transaction tracking API. And the data collectors for these various application servers, so ITM for WebSphere slash J2E has data collectors for basically every application server that's out there. And you need to have a data collector that is TT API aware. And in the maintenance stream for ITKM for WebSphere, each of these agents is being brought up with TTI awareness, TTAPI awareness. So, yes, that decision does need to be made, though in a lot of the other application servers, you don't even have the ARM choice. Um, ARM is something that is in WebSphere, but it's not necessarily in JBoss. So, you are stuck with the ITKM for WebSphere data collector. And I believe at this point we're pretty close to having a one-to-one -one mapping between what ITKM for WebSphere support and the TT API support. Um, and if we don't, it's it's coming along because the fixed pack that's going to be released very shortly here. What if the client's a Microsoft shop and doesn't have a Java-based app server? Do we have a solution for that? We don't have a tracking solution there. Um, there are... Uh, the components in ITM for, for Microsoft applications will give you resource views there. Um, some of the RT components, so for Microsoft web-based applications, we can give the end-user experience view and the synthetic transaction view uh, through, the, through those environments, but we don't have tracking, out-of-box tracking for any of those types of servers. Um, and I, I can't comment or don't know on what the roadmap is for that kind of support. But so there are some there, there are some solutions there, and of course you know the the bottom line or the last you know the last level of support is there's a, there is an API which for the TT API that anyone can and it's meant to be rather simple that anyone can add to their application the ability to admit transactional events that will then get put together by ITM transactions. So there is a possibility, assuming the customer wants to 
actually make modifications in their application to, to, to work with IDE transactions if they can commit those types of events. Okay. Are there any special considerations that we need to take for databases, message buses, gateways, mainframe uh, environments, etc.? Do have some special, you know, for, for all of them, yes, um, and they're all pretty well documented in the documentation. Um, the real key piece that IT camera transactions brings is the tracking side that IT camera for RTP, its predecessor, did not have, is the ability to, for example, let's say you have an environment, for example, that goes web server to an application server and then eventually it goes back to kick but between the application server and kick there's a data power device so that appliance in the rtt world which is only arm that black box in the middle with data power would basically cause us to lose our tracking tokens and not be able to tie a complete picture together tt has the ability to that's still going to be a black box to us, but we can stitch together the before and the after into one picture. So we have the ability to say, look, this is one transaction. It just happened to go through a spot where we don't have any tracking capability. So that's a, but, you know, that's a, a long answer to, yes, there are little, little, little things that you need to know about each of those, you know, message buses and you know, M2 version, Webster message broker version, uh, mainframe version. And, and for each of those, there is, there's a checklist that, you know, we'll go through and put together that says, you know, what version of Kix are you running? What are you using to communicate between Webster and Kix? Is it the Kix transaction gateway? Are you talking over SOAP? Um, all of these things are important to understanding how we would deploy that architecture. If I have existing investments in Tivoli products such as Omegamon or HP, BMC, CompuWare, ASG, can I leverage any of those other tools' data to help provide me visibility into these transaction areas on the, the back end? Say you have the resource monitors for MQ, CICS. There's launch and context, so what you, it's not going to give you any more visibility into a particular transaction. So tracking is going to give transaction tracking will give you this picture, but when you get to that CICS node, you can launch in context to the Omegamon for CICS workspaces, or when you get to a MQ node, you can launch in context to the appropriate place in the Omegamon for messaging workspaces. Um, in terms of competitors' products, it would be the same level of integration that we would have between ITM consuming data from those products, and then we could pull that in, you know, whether it's a universal agent or an agent builder, and provide workspaces for that resource-based data and we could create links out of the application topology, but it's not going to necessarily enrich the tracking bit of ICQM transactions. Okay. Right? It's more about we can enrich the available resource data and pull that into the single pane of glass into, um, into the 
effectively portal, but we're not able to pull in any of that data to enrich our tracking capabilities for building our application here. Okay. How do we know where to deploy all these agents? Do we do we have to have a, a one-to-one relationship, you know, across each component in the tier, or do we selectively sample and deploy agents to one or two components at each tier? What's our approach there for knowing how many agents we need to, to deploy? Um, well, it, it comes down to performance. I mean, there is, there's a certain amount of overhead by running the transaction collector agent. So it, most of this comes down to it. We're going we're to focus on this discussion on the tracking component. For the RT component, it's a pretty simple story, like web response for web response time, you would stick it on every web server that you wanted any data about. For robotic response time, you would stick it wherever you wanted to have an endpoint for a synthetic transaction. For the tracking bit, it's a little bit different. I think from a data collection point of view, you want it on every piece that you can actually get data from. In terms of the actual agents, so the transaction collectors, they don't have to be a one-to-one relationship. So you might have a cluster of web servers that are all collecting data either with a data collector or ARM, but they're sending it to a single transaction collector which is located on a different machine. So that's the, the choice, the reasons for making that kind of a decision have to do with overhead uh, and network bandwidth between the machines in terms of why you would choose one way or another. Most of the stuff that I've been involved in is a pretty small proof of concept stuff. We just we stick one on every machine, and it's not it's not a problem. But there are considerations that you can undertake in terms of scaling out a larger deployment, in terms of how many of the actual agents you would deploy and where they would split. Do we have any special techniques or configurations or considerations we need to take? If we were to use both the synthetic transaction testing and the real user transaction tracking components at the same time, do we do we do anything different to configure situations or scenarios or events or views or reports to aggregate and consolidate those things together so people can see you know the synthetic baseline, if you will, compared to the real users and and you know they can use that for some advanced event management uh, type activities upstream. Sure, absolutely. I mean, for one thing, when you when you land on the application management console workspace, it allows and, and you use the application management configuration editor. You can group together your applications and your transactions. So let's say I have online banking as my application. I can group together a set of synthetic transactions that are going through on online, against online banking, and I can group together a set of real-life user transactions for online banking. And I can differentiate between the situations that are fired on, on the data that's coming through between them. I can even do interesting stuff because one of the core pieces of what the RT products do is they break down transaction times in client network and server and they keep track of where the client is. So, for example, with my 
web response time agent and my robotic response time agent, I can know what the IP address is of the client that initiated a particular transaction. So I can group things together by saying, here's transactions out of the Boston office, here's transactions out of the Atlanta office, here's transactions that are out of the LA office. So all things that are very nice upstream in the world of business service management dashboards and things like that. Uh, so there certainly is the ability to group and aggregate not just between those two components, um, but also between you know which clients they're running on and things along those natures. What about our clients where we have that large mainframe environment? Do we do we need to do anything differently to accommodate or make use of these different types of data collectors? Uh, different design considerations there? Are those deployed on the mainframe? Are those deployed on certain servers or components? They are deployed, they are deployed on the mainframe. So, you know, we have a monitor for CICS that will deploy, on the, you know, on the LPAR with the CICS region on the mainframe uh, and for our IMS support. And those things can, so those are the data collector components, right? And then those things can remotely send data to a transaction collector that's sitting on a distributed platform. Uh, or there also are transaction collectors. I actually don't know that there's a transaction collector for the mainframe or not. I'd have to check that. But, uh, but so there are individual components that deploy on each of the various mainframe environments. And there are, in, in the world of transactions, they call each of these things a domain. So, CICS is a domain, WebSphere is a domain, and for each of these domains, there is a domain-specific set of prerequisites and skills for, you know, how do I get the data collector containers. Um, so, you know, really, as you're building this thing out, if you think about it, it's, you have, you gather data from various domains, whether that be Kicks or IMS or WebSphere or DB2 or an IIS web server. Then that domain-specific data gets fed through transaction collectors and into a transaction reporter, which then ties all those things back together in the way that it all should look. So where most of the knowledge is, if we're talking about where do we need to go down into the weeds, is each domain has its specific uh, prereqs of knowledge that you need that are, are pretty well documented. But in general, like someone in my role, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the mainframe administrator, and I'm going to give them those prerequisites, and I'm going to probably have a, a discussion specifically with them about what do we need to do for CICS. And I'll probably have a similar discussion with the web server administrator, and, another, and maybe another one with the DB2 person, depending on what we're deploying. And those are probably 30-minute discussions, or maybe just an exchange of, of you know three or four emails just to get the data together. And is there a similar set of conditions that we need to consider for our clients who have adopted a service-oriented architecture strategy? Yeah, but the products that we would be talking about is probably more of a IT camp for SOA than IT camp for transactions. But in essence, the at least from a 10,000-foot view, the story is about the same, where you're going to have collectors or agents that are going to be installed 
on the various pieces that you're putting together and pulling into Artivoli monitoring environment to display and aggregate together on the on the Tivoli Enterprise portal. Um, so it's a different set of agents and components that happen to fall into the ITK and Priscilla family of products, but I think the methodology is very similar. These data collectors and, and special considerations we've just talked about bring us a, a tremendous amount of data into the ITCAM environment. Can you talk a little bit about how much work is required to create that end-to-end transaction, right, from a client desktop all the way to the mainframe and back, right, across all those domains, how much stuff is automatically stitched together versus how much stuff do we need to go in there and manually associate this user's desktop all the way to this transaction, to this query, to this database, to the mainframe, etc. Okay, so I'm going to assume, just to clarify, that what you see, you're talking, we've gone through the process of installing everything and we're collecting data. Now, how much work has to be done to make that data useful? Correct. Correct. And where you're going with that? Okay, I just want to make sure. Uh, and, and I would say... The answer, as always, is it's going to be, it depends. If the application architecture is in the sweet spot, which is, in general, if it's a, if it's a very, if it's a very blue architecture, event, IBM HTTP server, WebSphere, back to kicks, there's very little that you need to do. You'll spend most of your time in the application management configuration editor, just defining what are the customer-specific groupings that you want. Like, for example, this particular subnet range represents the Boston office. Or if I really wanted to, this particular IP address represents Mac desktop machine, depending on what level of granularity you wanted to look at. So you would have to define those groupings at least to the level of, I want to give a English name to this IP address range or this specific IP address. Um, and you would also need to, if you're monitoring transactions through a web application, we're going to give you all the data at first. You can choose which ones do I want to filter out and also how do I want to group the transactions that come through my particular application. It's going to do a decent job out of the box of attempting to group them together into logical groupings, but there may need to be some human intervention to apply some business logic to grouping that data together. So, but in terms of a picture, assuming that you're in an environment that's supported, so we've gone and we've installed all these pieces to stitch it all together, straight away you're going to see the picture that you need. And it really just becomes a matter of how do I want to filter and group that data so that I carve it out into the appropriate chunks, either to whether it's separated out by an individual client machine or a branch office or you know, however you want to look at that. Okay, I want to see, I want to make sure I can monitor the CEO's desktop when he queries this mainframe application to check the sales orders for the day, end to end. Can I 
do that automatically from that window. Assuming you know his IP address. Yep. Assuming you know his IP address, you should be able to do that. Okay. Or if I see the CEO interacting with a web-based interface into an application, am I going to be able to see his desktop interfacing with a web server, interfacing with a, an application server, making queries by user? Can I see the CEO and the specific transactions he's executing into that back-end environment and back? So you, the, the level of detail we have is down to a specific IP address. We don't look into, we don't interface with, say, whatever authentication scheme you use, let's say it's Active Directory, right, to authenticate. So we don't actually see that token and say, not only is it the CEO's IP address, but the CEO is actually logged in, right? So there's a differentiation there. Um, and so we can see what is done, you know, and what transactions are initiated, what the response time is from that node. But if you were to go and say, well, there's a shared terminal in the lobby, and I want to see what the difference is between when the CEO uses that shared terminal and when the janitor uses that terminal, we're not going to differentiate between those two. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the traditional types of monitoring that's applied to this end-to-end discovered data? Is it predominantly availability and performance in terms of response time, or are there other types of monitoring activity that can be applied to these new discovered transaction flows? response times, and then what are the sub-transaction response times for each of the components that make up that transaction. And that allows you, it guides you to what part along that transaction flow is where you need to focus and take a look at potentially using other tools to figure out what the actual root cause is. So, right, if I've got five components in my transaction, if I can narrow it down to components number four, then I probably want to launch out and look at whether it's resource monitoring or whatever particular monitoring I have for deep dive or whatever project I have, process I have for doing that to actually get to the root cause. But at least I've narrowed down from five components down to component number four is the one where I'm having the problem. Can I see individual transaction impact on system level resources by going through that launch in context drill down scenario? It is not going to tie specifically to a transaction. So the really the the level of detail that you get to is I have this transaction flow and it's slow component number four out of five. I can go to the resource more you know and I know what time it's at. And I know it's on this particular MQQ. I can then launch in context to that MQQ, but it doesn't. That launch in context doesn't have any knowledge of the transaction itself, right? So I, at that point, am I passing? I'm passing off to 
the MQ domain expert who knows that right now in this time period there was a problem on this particular MQQ, but I don't have any transactional context at that point. So where would I find out that I have an inefficient SQL query that's going from the app server to the database server? How can I, and it's affecting CPU resources or it's affecting a queue to, to, to queue up or, or bottleneck. How do I, how do I get to that level of detail that I can provide a finite piece of information to the app server group or to a database group that here is the real problem? Overhead. So it's really trying to understand 
what do we need to know and how close to the problem do we need to get ourselves, right, to be able to solve these problems. Sure. Are there any specific scenarios or correlations that we provide out of the box that help clients understand the behavior, the patterns of these transactional flows by looking at the hourly pattern, the, the daily pattern, comparing hour of day to hour of day, comparing day of week to day of week to day of week, comparing the end of month credit card processing run to last month's credit card processing run. Are we, are we getting into anything that provides clients the ability to do analytics, to, to, to monitor for the presence of too many transactions, too few transactions for a given time slice of a day or a week or a month? What do we do to help them get above just basic, basic performance and availability of a transaction? Um, so that where that comes from, um, or where that it, it's not a part of the core product that provides you transactions. But where that does come from is tools like Tibly Performance Analyzer. That and Tibly Performance Analyzer does have. Uh, with Tibly Performance Analyzer, I believe, calls this domain as domain coverage for IP camera response time. So this is a 6.2 version that was came out before the transaction release. So they haven't caught up yet. But that does do analytics on transaction volumes that are discovered by those agents and allows you to do trending and capacity planning based on the data that it's discovered. But out of box, no, that's not really a part of it's not really a part of the transactions agent. And I would argue it's really not necessarily, at least from Tivoli's point of view of their sort of modular design, it's not really necessarily part of what you they would expect ICAM for transactions to do. ICAM for transactions is the data feed that stitches all this data together. And then you add on another product, you know, performance analyzer from Tivoli to come through and do some analysis of that data for trends in your data. Sure. That would be the way that... Uh, but it's not a part of the core functionality. Okay. My experience has been that turning on things like real user monitoring often leads to a lot of noise in the upstream event management, you know, system or, you know, very spotty or choppy graphs or charts, you know, in the, in the reporting tools or, or charting tools what what should clients be thinking about to make sure that they're not crying wolf, right? That they don't get all this noise, but they're only really seeing alerts when they have real problems. Okay. Um, I think that that you know, I think that goes back to the problem that I think first of all, I think customers have to de- define and IBM and typically have to help them define what is it they really want to see, right? You don't just want to turn on the fire hose. You know, there's another analogy for what you're talking about there. Just have all this data sprayed, sprayed at you. It's great to want to have this end-to-end view of everything, but the reality is trying to break that down and understand it. 
what we can do to help a little bit, I think, is helping to group that data by by transaction, by client, by which serve which particular servers they're hitting. Then even you know, if you look at the RT agents like take for example the web response time agent, we can start to fill you know, those transactions are basically just URLs. We can start to filter out and get rid of ones that we no longer need. You know, there's 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 not necessarily tools that are gonna help you analyze and tell you which ones you want to get rid of. But there's tools that are going to help you manage that fire hose of data and break it down into manageable groups and then, you know, eventually, you know, kind of settle on what's the right place to monitor. Um, I think it's very similar to, you know, if you look at base level resource monitoring. You know, we ship with a bunch of situations enabled out of the box and with any customer, there's a period of, okay, well, let's monitor with this stuff and figure out how to get only events and alerts for things that I really care about and get rid of everything that is just noise to me, right? I think it's the same process that they would have to go through as you would with base-level resource monitoring or something like that. So it's some period of turning everything on and watching, learning getting some feedback from users on the front line as well as support teams, application teams on the back end to really weed out the uh, the garbage? Yeah, if you will, and, and just to figure out how to group that stuff together. And I think that one of the things that IT Care for transactions, specifically the RT stuff does very well, is the tools for letting you kind of group things together are very good, so you can really start early separating things out. So I, what if I, if I just get all of the events and separate them into five high-level buckets, and then I can start breaking those buckets down a little bit more. Those tools are pretty good, and that doesn't even really touch on, you talk about the events. I mean, I think the, the big thing is the event stream that goes upstream to, say, Omnibus and the CDSM, right? You want that to be tuned to the right level so that you're only getting, you're getting only single and no noise, but that's an iterative process to figuring that out, to figuring that out, process of observation, basically. Okay, makes sense. How are we focusing on tying up those loose ends? Is there any special discussion that we need to have to connect the dots that didn't happen in a pure IBM environment or where we've got visibility gaps? Is that, again, similar to the process of collecting those initial requirements and being on a whiteboard, you know, the, the end-to-end flow? Do we need to take a different tact here now that we've got all this data? It's very detailed data. It's IP addresses. It's, it's URLs. It's all this stuff. Is there a different approach we need to take at this point to stitch either automatically or manually this stuff together? really is just how do I want to filter that data? So I think that the, you know, go back to that, I really think that the tools provide a pretty good ability to say filter that grouping together. So we're still collecting that amount of data. We just allow you to change via filters what you actually see on your pane of glass that you look at. 
So I think there's not much that you need to do to change it, but I do think there is a certain amount of, you take a look at the data, you look at what it shows you, and you say, you use what you see to help you determine, well, I don't like that, I'd rather see more of that, I want to get rid of this. And that helps you go through the process. But I think the tool itself has a good enough visualization of, what, of the data out of the box to allow you to use the tool itself and its results to help you shape what you want to look at in the future and help you fine-tune your filters. Okay. Do you have any guidance or insight into how much level of effort there would be when using the client response monitoring component to to build those behavior modules, or, or I think that's what you called them, things that you know may not be in the supported list of applications from the desktop. Um, I don't really have a lot of experience with it. Um, it basically. It's a it's a fair bit it's it's a fair bit of work, but I don't have a lot of experience to really comment on exactly how long it exactly how long it would take. I do know from looking at the tool, you know what you get is you get this tool that it in essence records and you can watch as you interact with the application. It says you click you you send a button down message to this button, and then a button up message. The window bar title changed to this. You clicked on this user interface element. And then you have to take all that messages and define where does a transaction start and where does it end, right? So a transaction starts from when I start typing in this text box, and it ends when I release the button from the submit button when it clicks back up. So that's kind of the process, but you're getting a whole bunch of data that's this entire Windows message flow that you have to then interpret and turn into the transaction that defines your application. So I don't have... I guess I don't have a good answer because I don't have a lot of experience with doing it. And like I said, we don't have a lot of clients. Just as it, it, most of the clients we work with today are using web-based applications and not really a fat desktop application that they really want any visibility into. Okay. But yeah, I guess I would add on to that that most customers don't really like the idea of the fact that we want to put an agent on a desktop anyway. Right? They want to put agents on their servers and their data center, but an agent on every desktop is not really something that they're all that keen on necessarily. Mm. Uh, certainly emerging market for that. There's many new up-and-coming vendors who play in that desktop agent space. Right, exactly, which is kind of interesting because for a while it was this, you know, everyone was going towards agentless and... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Where we see that agent come up the most in, in the last couple of years is actually Citrix. Because in the Citrix world, it doesn't live on the customer's desktop. It actually lives on the Citrix server that serves up that Citrix desktop. So it, it's a more scalable deployment. Um, it gives us the Citrix, and we do see a fair number of customers that have pretty large Citrix deployments. Right. Do we have any guidelines or best practices for how to deploy that client response time agent? Do we do we recommend that you deploy it to all your desktops? Do we recommend that you take a sampling approach 
by location or geography? How do we guide clients down the path of coming up with their architecture for client agent monitoring? Um, well, so I would I, I would say I haven't been involved in a lot. I don't have a lot of experience with any large deployments there. I've only really proof of concept in it. But I would suggest that it's probably not an every desktop deployment type scenario unless they already use some kind of an agent. Like, for example, if that shop is a heavy ICAM shop and they do put the ICAM operating system agent on every customer's, on every client desktop, it's a little bit of an easier to talk about deploying that way. Um, obviously, cost comes into, cost comes into effect there, but. Yep, absolutely. Uh, but I, I think that the, uh, it, once per, once per branch or a couple times per branch to sample the data is pretty good. Because oftentimes, you know, if you take the example of monitoring Lotus Notes interactions, right, you're really concerned with how much time does it take for people on this land segment to get to the Lotus Notes server. Um, and, and most likely you're not debugging some problem down in the, in the actual application. You're really just interested in the network response time from that particular island of the network. Right. Matt, do you have any insight into how end-to-end dynamic correlation across multiple domains without passing correlators works, a.k.a. the TTAPI stuff? I, I don't. I, I don't have good, I don't have real good technical knowledge there. I know that basically what happens is it, 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 we, each of the components writes out, instead of passing correlators, it just writes out records. So inside of its domain, it writes out records that are pushed up to this transaction collector. And then this transaction reporter goes through and can find like records that are, are, are put out by the API. In terms of the actual technical details about what's going on under the covers, how does it what is the algorithm is it used to determine things from different domains and stitch them together? I don't know. I don't know enough to comment on that. Okay. Do we need to take any special considerations when we need to use the TT API? As in, when we, if we were to de- develop an application using the TT API? Or use it, yeah. I mean, is it you? Is it only used when you have a custom integration that's not supported? No, no TTAPI is actually the core of everything. That, so every data collector that's a piece of I can hear for transactions talks. TTAPI is the language it talks. Okay. So there aren't any special. There aren't really any special considerations. Uh, I guess I, I'll take that back. Uh, we're using a lot of the out-of-box basic functionality. You don't have to know anything about what TTAPI is in order to make them stitch up and work together. There are configuration files on the systems where you're collecting data that you can manipulate and coerce some of the stitching process in places where perhaps it's not quite an out-of-box thing and you want to stitch something that might not be stitching and you need to actually make some modifications. So there are some things that you can do to affect 
the way that the TCAPI transactions fits together. Okay. Is it something you deploy, or is it really just a core component of a data collector? It's a core component of the of the transaction collector piece that's out there. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so I have some questions on that. file that's deployed as part of the agent. Okay. So there is a component, an agent, that's called the transaction tracking collector. Why and when are these needed, and do we need to take any special design or architecture considerations for how we use these? Uh, well, simple level, you could have one of those everywhere you had a data collector for collecting data. Uh, but they don't have to be. They can be remotely connected to by the data co- by the data collector. So in, in most deployments, you probably would stick one transaction collector, for example, on, a web, on one of the machines in a WebSphere cluster, and then the data collectors for WebSphere would send their data to, to that transaction collector, and then up into the transaction tracking environment. Um, there aren't any real special considerations for deploying it. It is a very simple vanilla agent to deploy. Um, it deploys, the agent deploys, it talks to the ITM infrastructure, and then it listens for external data collectors. It listens for local and external data collectors on a TCP port. Okay. The transaction tracking collector has a child component, which is another agent called a data collector. Can you talk about what a data collector is and where we need to you know, consider special things for data collectors? Well, every domain kind of has its own data collector. In essence, is a, is a way to think about it. Um, so, for example, in the world of WebSphere, if you were to use ARM, there isn't a process that you're going to install that's the data collector. You enable ARM, and when you enable ARM, you point it to the TCAPI ARM library, and that starts emitting ARM records that are TTAPI aware, and that's the da- that is the data collector component. So the data collector component is kind of this dotted line box, and that it's it's not necessarily an agent that you install. In some cases, like MQ, it is. It's an actual agent that installs. But in other cases, like the ARM library, it's just a library that's on the system that WebSphere uses to to emit ARM records. So for every domain, so the answer is yes, for every domain there is specific steps for how to enable data collection, whether that involves installing a data collector as a physical piece of software or enabling data collection in a piece of middleware that you monitor. Okay. So what are the fundamental differences between a transaction tracking collector and a data collector? A transaction tracking collector is uh, dumb to domains. It doesn't understand anything about data. It just it, it, all it understands is how to collect TTAPI data together and send it up to a to a reporter. So it's really just a proxy, if you will, for for TTAPI records. Whereas the data collector itself is that's the piece that actually is injected into the middleware itself to gather the data out. So it's very well aware of the specific domain where it's gathering data. That makes perfect sense. 
the transaction, I'm sorry, the data collector feeds the transaction tracking collector. The transaction tracking collector feeds the transaction reporter. Correct. Is this another agent or is this a core backend component? It's an agent. It's an agent, but if you were drawing an architecture that didn't have, you know, if you just ignored ICM, you could think of this as a server in that it really was what's in your enterprise. It takes on the shape of an ICM agent. But it runs once, and it's the central place where all these collectors send their data to the reporter. And then in the TEP, the reporter, the workspaces associated with the reporter are where you get this stitched together set of topologies based on the data from all the collectors. So its job is to correlate everything together, stitch it all together, and then on the, on the UI side of the TEP, display those topologies. But you can really think about it it's kind of a server, really. It's an agent, but it's, it's uh, in the ITM parlance, it's an agent, but it's a server for the transaction tracking uh, infrastructure. Okay. So we need one of those. That's a mandatory component, and this is really where all the magic secret sauce type activity right. for stitching happens, right? Right. And this is probably where, if you really, you know, to go back to your question, if you did want to find someone sort of talk a little bit about some of the more technical secret sauce, you might want to find someone. They're, they're probably, you probably could get someone from either, whether it's product management or uh, or otherwise, to talk about the, to talk about the technical details a little bit more about that secret okay. sauce. Sure. So when are there scenarios or conditions where you would want to have more than one transaction reporter? Do we have a high availability option? Do we have a scale threshold where we've got X number of transaction tracking collectors feeding to a transaction reporter before we want to have another one? You know, what's, what are our architecture? Uh, there is high availability stuff. I, I, I don't know enough. I haven't been involved in any high availability deployments of this stuff, but I will tell you that you can have more than one reporter, but they would be isolated. They would be isolated. So you'd either have, you could set up a, a failover or a standby mechanism, or you could actually isolate one reporter for one application environment, what, or for one data center, and one for another data center, another application environment, just based on scale, uh, like you said. But and there are some numbers in terms of how many you would want to put through into one. Would those be isolated, or do I have a multi-tier here type of architecture where I, you know, like you said, I could have one data center where I've, let's say I have one data center that was my web tier, I had one data center that was my app tier, and I had another data center that was my database and mainframe, and I had transaction reporters sort of in those data center domains, if you will. But you wouldn't do it that way because you need... The reporters are going to be independent of each other in that you're not going to be able, you're not going to have a hierarchy where you can have a master reporter okay. with sub-reporters. Sub yeah. So That's what I was getting at was, can I aggregate okay. and then stitch across no. all those? No, the, the, you don't, it doesn't do that at, at the moment with the current architecture, no. Okay. So there are some scalability, there are some capacity, there are some HA options here when it comes to that. 
But more often than not, you may take a, an approach for isolating certain things into their own transaction reporter area. Right. It, the same should be said, just so that you're aware of the uh, application management console agent, which is, it is a part of the, it comes shipped as part of the RT bundle, but it actually has visibility to both transaction tracking and RT application data. You have a single one of those that displays your application dashboard for response time data. Uh, and you could put your, you can have another one, but they're independent of each other. They're not hierarchical. Do you have any insight into how the transaction reporter stitches together all this data? I don't. Okay. You know, my experience has been that this type of technology collects a tremendous amount of data. What do we do with all the collected data? Is it stored in Tilly Data Warehouse? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be in the, in the same way that it's it, uh, in the same way that any other agent's data can be stored in Tilly Data Warehouse. Do we need to take any different architectural or design considerations, sizing considerations to accommodate a you know a fairly large deployment of IT camper transactions? I would say the answer is yes, but I don't know whether such I don't know whether there's any best practices in that arena as of yet, just because the product is so is so new in the marketplace, but. So I, know, I, I would say the answer is yes off the top of my head because you're right, there's more data. And any time you're going to have more data that you're putting in the warehouse, you probably need to start to think about how that affects the scale of your overall deployment. But I don't know that any best practices exist on that. Okay. We've got a couple more areas here to quickly go through. And this one is on deployment-type activities. If you're in a greenfield-type client environment, Matt, where do you start? Is there is there a, a workflow or a series of steps that you're going to do one before the other to get to a full deployment of IT camper transactions? Uh, I, for for me, it would be uh, it would be you would start with the RT components uh, because the RT components allow you to get quick time to value and quick monitoring of transactions, and then from there start to look at what components you want to do tracking through. Okay, but you're starting, you're deploying the fundamental ITM infrastructure and then you're adding on to that sort of with layers of ITCAM capability? Correct, correct. Okay. Maybe you've come across these, maybe you've experienced them in your last projects or have heard. What are some of the deployment challenges that we've run into or a client may run into within a typical IT cam for transaction deployment. Do we have challenges like uh, our friends in the Tatum world with credentialed logins or access or you know, the age-old challenge of trying to deploy agents? Do we have the same types of problems here? Or do we inherit or, or get exposed to new types of problems? I think we actually have some, we have some newer problems. Some of them are around things like we 
have to install at that data collector layer where we have to actually install things into a middleware server and then restart that server. So the chair up and come with, you're working with these people in these various silos as we talked about earlier, and you're asking them to have to restart various components to make up this application in order to get all of our instrumentation in place. So coordinating all of that across those silos in order to get all of that data collection in place to really display that data is, is, is really a challenge for sure. Do we have any similar considerations or best practices for the the point of moving into production? I know you might not be exposed to this, but are clients worried? Do they ask questions that lead us to believe that they're worried about going into production like we would, you know, with any other product going into a production deployment? Getting through the change control process, getting getting things. Is this really intrusive or is this really not intrusive when you look at a synthetic synthetic transaction? Does that have to go through change control? Do you, do you have any thoughts on what clients might need to prepare for to get through those types of activities and say they're in production? I, I think it's absolutely that we do have change control type things that we have to worry about specifically with the tracking stuff. The tracking stuff is more intrusive for sure. Uh, on the response time pieces, the most intrusive piece that we would install is the web response time piece, and that's on a web server. It generally doesn't even re require a restart of that web server in order to start monitoring the data. So it's much less intrusive. When you get to the tracking stuff, yeah, there is change control things. Each group, each siloed group wants to review the changes. The MQ group wants to review the changes to MQ. The DB2 group wants to review the changes to DB2, et cetera, et cetera. And that means that in order to get your full deployment, your stitched together data, you have to you have to be you know, working with these different groups and get all the sign-off and change control from various different groups to get something going. So, yeah, there, I, I think that certainly is a concern. This is my favorite part. Again, you probably don't have much exposure to this, this area, but we've successfully deployed the software. We've successfully gained a new client who made the investment in this technology. Do you have any ideas or thoughts about how clients should incorporate this new technology, this new visibility into their existing operational workflows, process, procedures to get the best benefit, to get that bang for the buck, to get to the value? Should they do the same thing they've always done? Or should they use this technology as a catalyst to do something different than they did in the past. I, I can tell that's definitely a, your favorite type of question. <laughs> These are definitely, the, definitely the types of things that you like to think about. But I don't have too much insight there. I think that uh, I, I would say that they, they can use it as a catalyst. I mean, I don't know that... I'm not quite sure exactly how, how you know, the mechanics of that would work, but I think that 
in the end, you know, from what we talked about earlier, is having this set of skills and people that have knowledge and visibility across these traditional silos, so their their role is much more horizontal than, than vertical, this tool can allow you to shape, shape the way you deploy your resources, your human resources, around those more horizontal roles rather than the vertical roles. Um, I don't necessarily have any experience with that, exactly what customers okay. do, but that's, yeah. you know, the no. way I would look at it is I think that this tool does allow for that kind of, uh, for that kind of activity to happen. Whether the tool itself is catalyst, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. When I deployed real user synthetic monitoring, I, mean, I had many different new types of alerts. I had all this new data, and the end user of my tools was the, the frontline operations support groups, and they had mastered the ability to respond to black and white conditions. The server is down. The network is down. Introducing transaction monitoring and telling them now that the transaction is slow or the transaction is not performing optimally or three out of the last 100 transactions failed. That's a new paradigm for a lot of people on that frontline operations support, you know, tier one type organization. How do you have any ideas of how they need to mature or evolve to think differently about troubleshooting something that they can't necessarily log into a server and or ping a server and it's down? You see what I'm saying? You know, how do they? I mean, I think what you're talking about is a difference between reactive thinking and proactive thinking. I mean, in a really high, you know, so, okay, I know how to react if if this NT service stops working or I restart it um, versus my system is slowing down, that I need to start thinking about that as an indicator of a problem to come based on the data that I've gathered, if you do it for a while, you can say, okay, well, this is a problem signature that is going to manifest itself as an outage in two days or 12 hours. So I think that part of the change is to start to get more you know, proactive thinking about where, what is the data telling me, where am I trending towards, and how can I avoid that that failure 12 hours in the future by just making a correction now, you know. So that's, I think that that's probably what this type of tool really can give you, is the ability to start, start doing that. Uh, and you're looking now, you're no longer looking at, oftentimes it's really hard if you're just staring at the database and the database logs, okay, well, I don't really see any problem. Everything's green on the database, everything's green on the web server, but the transaction isn't going slow. So it's giving you that visibility between those components to you know be proactive and look at, look at what yeah. might be happening coming down the road in the future. Absolutely, and I think that 
instilling that horizontal end-to-end responsibility in our frontline tier one, tier one and a half, tier two, I don't know, you know how most people organize, those people being able to span across the service, the transaction delivery pipeline, transaction flow is the most critical thing for our clients, our prospective clients to consider moving forward. When we have you know this evolving dynamic infrastructure, virtualization, clouds, it's on this server today, but it's on that server tomorrow, redundancy, geographic load balancing, somebody has to own that end-to-end flow and be able to see into that pipeline and sense and react and respond and triage and isolate where those problems are so they can move it up to those subject matter experts. And you know, whatever we can do, whatever Tivoli can do to instill that vision into our clients, it's a, it's a, it's a no-brainer that they're going to be successful in the long run when they can start to think that way and not assign one guy to just be the distributed problem guy or one guy to be the mainframe problem guy. And I, I think that, I mean, you're absolutely right. But I think that where the tools need to go, just in, in general in this space, is we, and, and what we need to do in terms of convincing our customers of this is they know what the tools are going to deal with gathering this tons and tons and tons of data. And the tools are going to provide a little bit of that first line smart thing you used to have. So the first level of monitoring tools way back when was, okay, I used to just open an X term and tail this log file and look for messages. Okay, now I came up with a tool that puts all my log files from all my applications on one pane of glass for me. So I can still, all I'm really doing is looking at those same log files, right? So now it's trusting that the baseline tools have the smart enough analytics to just they recognize problems for you. You don't need to spend your time looking through the DB2 logs for that particular exception that indicates a problem. You just wait till that event comes up and tells you that it, that it happened. So now you need to step up a layer to that transactional flow. You can trust that your resource monitoring layer, and I think that that's the trust we have to instill in our clients, that that resource monitoring layer is taking care of those standard set of alerts looking for log file errors, disk space error, CPU speed error. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's just dive into that. I don't want to lose that train of thought. Yeah. I think the if we look to reinvent IT operations, the frontline groups, when we have good foundational resource monitoring across the server, the app, the database, the network, the mainframe, those low-level things don't matter. We can approach those with a lower priority because when we have business transaction management and visibility into the things that matter most to the business, those transactions, as long as the transactions are working and flowing and within our SLA targets or performance targets or availability targets, I could care less if I have a log alarm or a CPU utilization alarm, or a disk alarm, as long as the business is still operating. I can use the intelligence and the autonomic capabilities in our event management systems, our ticketing systems, 
our runbook systems to deal with those off hours, to deal with those, you know, automatically route those up to the subject matter experts group who can schedule them at their own leisure and keep that crap out of the frontline guys whose task is to focus on end-to-end performance and availability. Figuring out how to get that level of trust, and yeah. the tools will not. And the tools will give you that hundred percent coverage, and there's not going to be sort of disk space thing that slipped through the cracks. You know, something that slipped through the cracks that they they should have been looking. Yeah, at, right? they've been burned too many times by that. <laughs> right. You know, Murphy's That's law. You know, Murphy's always out there, and it's that one database. But right. nine times out of ten, it's because. Again, I stress the foundational, fundamental monitoring, right? 90% of our clients struggle with doing the basics well enough, right? Most of our clients don't monitor at the application of the database level, right? They're struggling to keep up with the fundamental system hardware operating system monitoring. So it's often those cases where... Oh, man, we didn't have that database monitored. Well, we haven't invested in that type of technology yet, so we don't have good visibility there. I stress that you, you know, to get to that point, we have to shore up the foundation and then layer on business transaction management, real user experience, end-user monitoring, business service management, all that stuff ties it all together, but you have to have a solid foundation. Correctly, and it's just being able to instill that there's that trust in the foundation that if, if I'm monitoring it from the business, because in the end, right, what really matters to Acme Company, right, is selling widgets, right, and making money. That's what all this IT software is designed to make sure that they keep doing. So, if that's the view that you give the frontline folks of the world is how to prioritize problems in terms of how they affect the bottom line, right? Yep. I, I think that you know that's, that, that's the change in thinking that needs to happen. I think if you looked at the big four, I won't generalize it to just us, but the big four vendors who've, who's primarily focused on selling into big, well-established, legacy enterprises... Those guys have been doing monitoring for a long time, and they're pretty well set in their ways. And so I, th- I think it's a challenge for us to change the vision that they may already have to something like we've just talked about compared to a greenfield company, right, who doesn't have any of the baggage or bad experiences. I've seen that, been there, done that, tried it, didn't work, got my, got my $200, these emerging companies are, are successful, right? They're, they're, you look at Amazon and Amazon Web Services and this whole new cloud computing environment. These guys are organized. They're structured around end-to-end service delivery. It's one system administrator responsible for 100,000 servers. It's, it's a completely different paradigm because they didn't have that legacy background to pull them down. So I think as we talk about the new, new thing and, and, and our future strategies around 
dynamic infrastructure and new enterprise data centers or things like that, that we also have to think about how do we get people in operations and monitoring tools groups to change the way they've thought about monitoring, shore up the foundation so they can really take advantage of all this really cool technology and products we have upstream a little bit. Challenge only gets harder when you get into an environment where that foundation is no longer just one vendor, right? Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, you find more and more these days. And I think that typically tends to be pretty sensitive to that in terms of, you know, attempting to incorporate and integrate. Um, but that's where the challenge gets harder. You know, I mean, I think, I think of when you see a big picture presentation from top level Tivoli folks, right, that say, look at the whole cool ITSM suite that we have, right? And then you think to actual customers, and it's like, well, in order to get all the way up to that suite, you have to build this foundation up, and there's a lot of individual products, and the reality is you have some pieces over here that are VNCs, and pieces that are HP, and you, maybe you have acquisitions that brought in some other benefits doing some other sort of monitoring. So that's really where the challenge is. It's that shoring up the foundation. And that doesn't have to, that doesn't mean going to a single vendor. It just means shoring that foundation up yep. so that you can actually have a stable foundation to build upon those layers above that really provide the real value. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've matured as an industry above the, proprietary vendor lock-in challenges we had in the past. Everybody's pretty much open, somewhat cooperative and integrating and exchanging data through direct integrations or open APIs or databases. The days of the days of us owning every piece of the puzzle are probably in the past, and we'd be foolish not to focus on how to incorporate and expand our integration capabilities across other vendors. Challenge for sure, and I think that uh, it, it, you know, it will be it, hopefully, especially you talk about this transaction tracking stuff. But I think that uh, you know, I think it was a question you asked earlier. Was, you know, along those lines, well, what happens if we've got DMC monitors that are resource monitors instead of ITM monitors, right? Well, I would say our support story, our integration story, probably isn't as good as it is with the table monitors underneath there, but. Do we have a story, right? So right. That's really what the question is. Do we have an integration? It's, you know, probably obvious that if you use an entire stack from one vendor that it's probably got the best integration, but is there good enough integration in the places where you need it? Right. Okay, one last question. We'll wrap up here. Do you have any words of advice or best practices or knowledge that you can share around what clients should be thinking about in terms of establishing the life cycle for managing IT cam for transactions? Is it a product that they should build once and let it run, or should they develop a mature process for evaluating the robotic transactions and real user transactions and, and, and making sure it's always up to date and, you know, the right thresholds are there and the dynamics of the business don't, require us to use that anymore or, or requires to change something. Do you have any advice there of what clients should think about in 
in terms of developing a, a life cycle for managing IT CAM for transactions? Sure. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a couple things you hit on there. I think with the synthetics, what we tend to see is that customers will develop their synthetic transactions as they're testing out an application when it's in their test environment, and then they'll pick a subset of that set of test scripts and graduate them into the IT CAM for their production monitoring for synthetic transactions. So we do see that that's, that life cycle tends to happen with new releases of applications, that scripts get updated. So I think that that's a pretty natural life cycle that does happen uh, when it comes to the script. Um, when it comes to thresholds, I do think that's something that has that that you do have to, you're not going to set it once and never change it. Uh, you know, for the most part, thresholds, to me, really be generally SLAs or with, what do I want to be alerted on upstream, right? What do I want to put into my event engine? So if I find it, I set it, and it works great for a year, but then all of a sudden I'm getting too many events, or I'm not getting events, but I did have this big outage that I feel like I should have been evented for, then yeah, you do have to kind of monitor that, right? Um, and the third thing I would say is, I think when you adopt a, a platform like ICGAM for transactions, you need to let it help guide how you deploy future infrastructure and applications. You want to deploy web new web servers with transaction tracking as a piece of the core build. You want to deploy NQ servers with transaction tracking as a piece of the core build. So similar to a strategy that we might use for base ICM where we say, okay, Every time you bring a new Windows server online, put the OS agent on it as part of the build that you provision out. Same thing should be said for the tracking components. And when you're thinking about evaluating what new, what platform or what architecture I'm going to use to deploy this new business application that I need to deploy in the next 18 months, think about is it compatible and will it work with my transaction tracking platform? Because really, what you're hoping is to deploy a new application with tracking from day one so that you can avoid problems and you can save money on having to deal with outages in your application. So I think that those are the those are kind of three areas that I would talk about in terms of the basic stuff. Perfect, Matt. Uh, I am truly appreciative of your time that you've invested in this talk. I know this dialogue will provide value to prospective clients, actual clients, both IBMers and our business partners. You are obviously an expert in this area, and I will reach out to some of your peers to get some insight into the more mainframe aspects of this product and, and round out your dominance of the distributed environment. Uh, <laughs> again, I appreciate your time today and look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Doug. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Have a good weekend.